0: Good morning. Pastor John will be back next week to continue our study of Romans. We'll be in Romans, the eighth chapter. I think your bulletin this morning says Romans, the eighth chapter on it, but we're not going to be anywhere near Romans, the eighth chapter this morning. How many uh, went to the open house last night? How many were there? Yeah? Was that fun? You know, um, I walked in that building and. uh, at first I sort of felt like I was visiting somebody else's church. It was wonderful. I loved everything I saw. But, and then I came downstairs and our church family was coming in the door for our service. And then I realized something. You know what? I'm home. This is home. You just, you just, you just instantly made it our home. Um, last night uh, Rob gave us sort of an uh, overview of all the many blessings that God has done. To provide this building for us, it's not one hundred percent ours yet, but it's real close. Uh, Brian Thompson uh, led us in a so- couple of songs with the children, co- the children's choir of the Rock Community Church up front, doing power, power simple things. You know, <laughs> that's about how well I did them, by the way. Um, and then uh, Pastor John shared for a few moments, and then Doug and Kathy Renault came up and led us in prayer. And Doug said something really interesting. He Referred to this time of our church as a new beginning. In fact, he said, "This church is this new building is like our stake in the ground to say, okay, you know, we've been through some struggles, like any church, like any family, but we're going to look forward. No more looking back." Amen. 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 <laughs> I see. I see relieved faces. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, we're going to talk about new new beginnings. In fact, we're going to look at a psalm this morning that uh, reveals. How God creates new beginnings out of the most unexpected times and places in our lives. I think many people would like to have a fresh start if they could. Have you ever played with that little toy called the (laughs) Etch-a-Sketch where you you turn the knobs to make a picture and if you mess up you just shake it and oh clean slate you get to start over. Well you know If we're going to be honest, I would think most of us in this room have probably made a few wrong turns in our lives. Wouldn't it be nice to have an Etch-a-Sketch solution? We could just shake it off, start over. I was at a bookstore uh, a little while ago, and I was amazed at the size of the self-help section. Literally thousands of titles that looked like that were there to help me learn how to uh, create, transform, unlock, or reinvent a new me. I know um, There's a man I know, he has a very stressful job, and he went to see the new film, the James Bond film, Skyfall. He happens to be about the same age as Daniel Craig, who plays James Bond, and he liked how Daniel Craig looked, so he went out and got himself the same haircut as 007. And it actually looked really good on him. And I saw him <coughs> right after the new do. And he had a big smile on his face. That alone was unusual, to see him smiling. And he called his hairstylist, and he actually said these words to her. He said, I just called to tell you that you've changed my life. Um, His new beginning was brief. I saw him about a week later. He was right back to that same stressful job and way of life. And that's the problem. We can change our appearance. We can change our jobs. We can change our location. We can change our minds. We can change whatever we want to change, but it can't guarantee a new beginning. So what do we do? How can we have a new beginning? Fortunately, by the grace and inspiration of God, David wrote the answer down for us in Psalm 30. Psalm 30 includes this key verse. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning." Now, I heard some amens, that's wonderful. I want to tell you the truth, honest truth. There was a time in my life where I really wondered if I could take this verse seriously. Um, I am not a morning person. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) The idea of joy coming in the morning was something I just had trouble believing and even understanding. Joy cometh in the morning was like saying, joy cometh in the dentist chair. This verse would have made more sense to me if David had written, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh after lunch. (laughs) Or joy cometh after thou hast had thy coffee. (laughs) But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says joy comes in the morning. What does this mean? I think we're going to see that it means we can enjoy a new beginning. Before we read this life-changing psalm, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless the reading and understanding of his word. Father, we come before you in this, this wonderful church you have given us, and we just praise you for the beautiful day, the people that are here. We thank you for, that your Holy Spirit gave David these words. And now we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us the meaning. Teach us what your word means, Lord, so that not only will we understand it, but as like never before, we will apply it in our lives so that we can have joy this morning. And and Father, um, we just want to pray for peace and healing for the victims of the Boston Marathon bombings. Um, Father, only you can give them sense, give them purpose, give them hope. We pray for strength. We pray for healing. Father, the uh, bombings are just too awful for us to comprehend. But Father, you are sovereign. You are in control. So we pray for the victims and their families. May this tragedy... Bring them closer to you. And may your will be done, Father. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read Psalm 30 together. I'm going to give us just a quick overview. Uh, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger at lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, And I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I may sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. A little context for this psalm. Uh, Scholars and uh, theologians sort of debate the original purpose for David writing this psalm. Some believe he wrote it to dedicate a temple or the property that would become Solomon's temple. Others think, no, no, no. It's much more likely that he wrote it to dedicate his own house, his palace. It doesn't really matter. Either way, palace or temple, what this psalm was written to do is celebrate a new beginning. The theme of Psalm 30 is magnificent. It is one of the most tender and reassuring promises in the entire Old Testament. The theme of Psalm 30 is this. After each storm of life is over, there is a song. After each storm of life is over, There is a song. In life we have storms. Um, Unexpected events happen, like the Boston bombings, like 9-11. Personally, we can get a bad medical report. We can get laid off. We can lose a loved one. The list of storms that we can go through is quite long. I'm sure some of you are in a storm right now. Or maybe you've been through a rough one a little while ago or a long time ago, and it's left scars. It would be a mistake for us to read Psalm 30 and trivialize it, to say, oh, this is just God's way of saying, I'll give you a silver lining for every gray cloud. It would be a mistake to dismiss the words we just read as sort of a heavenly, happy little hallmark message, similar to the Bean Crosby song from the 1950s, Let a smile be your umbrella. Now, some of our more senior members of the congregation might recognize these words from 1957. Once I met a happy little bluebird. I was just as blue as I could be. In a little while, I began to smile when he sang this merry song to me. Just let a smile be your umbrella on a rainy, rainy day. And if your sweetie cries, just tell her that a smile will always pay. Whenever skies are gray, don't you worry or fret. A smile will bring the sunshine and you'll never get wet. Yeah. Psalm 30 is not telling us to paste a grin on our faces when we feel like crying. Psalm 30 tells us how we can hit bottom. Total darkness, total blackout. And God will transform the sorrow into a sunrise of joy. Let's go back through Psalm 30 verse by verse. And I'm going to read from the King James this time. I realize some of the language in the King James is a little old-fashioned. And some of the words are unfamiliar. I'll try to clarify those as we go. But for me, uh, King James just sounds uh, (laughs) Psalm-like. Probably because as a young boy, I learned the Psalms in a King James Bible because that's all any of us had. First verse, verse one. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and not made my foes to rejoice over me. Right off the bat, here's a word you probably didn't use on your way to church this morning. Extol. (laughs) Extol means to praise enthusiastically. What David wants us to know, he's starting off this psalm not by saying, God, I'm going to give you a little (laughs) light round of applause. David is so excited. If he were at a ball game, he'd be spilling his popcorn as he's jumping around. That's how enthusiastic and excited he is. I will extol thee, Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. So is that what David's so excited about? God lifted him up? Is that what we do like with our children when our children or grandchildren are little and we pick them up, we hold them up, we kind of shake them so they giggle and then we give them a hug and a kiss? Is that what David is so excited about? It's much more than that. The reason we know is the language that David used. He said the, the word lifted me up means as one is drawn from a well. It speaks of strength and power. It means David fell into a hole and God reached his mighty arm in and pulled David out. So this psalm isn't about a hug. This is about God coming to the rescue. So this raises two questions. What was David rescued from, and where did God put him after he lifted him up? Did he just leave him with his feet dangling in the air? Where did he put him? We can find the answer 10 psalms to the right. If you want to turn to Psalm 40 real quick. Psalm 40, verse 2. You will, uh, The answer is there. It's a, it's a verse that's really similar to what we just read but it gives us a little bit more information. Psalm 40 verse two says, he brought me up. This word brought me up is the exact same phrase as lifted me up, same thing. He brought me up or lifted me up also out of where? A horrible pit, sounds nice. And out of the miry clay, what's miry clay? Well, it's a muddy, slimy gook. It's it's a bog, it's a stinky swamp. That's where David was and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. God rescued David, and he will rescue us when we're in the pits, when life is at its worst, when we're swallowed up by pain, sorrow, disappointment, failure, and we can't see a way out. And where did God put David after he lifted him up? He set his feet firmly on a rock. What rock? This means, yes, Jesus, the Lord, and his rock-solid purpose and plan for each one of our lives. When we fall into a horrible pit, here's the promise. God won't leave us there. God will reach into our situation and pull us out and place us in the center of his will, that divine sweet spot full of joy, peace, and light. I believe this is exactly where we are as a church. I really do. I believe God has lifted us up. I believe he is putting us right back in the center of his will. And I believe before God that our best days are ahead of us, and I cannot wait to see the blessings that are coming. So we've just learned two facts of life for the believer. One, sometimes life can be very, very difficult. Have you noticed? (laughs) Second, God won't leave us in that situation for long. He will lift us up from rot to rock, from pit to pinnacle. If you turn back to Psalm 30, let's finish verse 1. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and not made my foes to rejoice over me. Oh my gosh, this verse should change forever the way we look at our troubles and our adversaries. You see what this says? It says no circumstance and no enemy can ever have victory over us when we're trusting in the Lord. Why? Because we belong to God, not to the pit. The everlasting truth of Psalm 30, verse 1 is this. No misery is so deep that we cannot be drawn out of it by God. Verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. We don't know, again, what David was healed from, whether it was a life-threatening illness an injury, depression, or what. We don't know, but it doesn't really matter. What matters to us is he cried out to God. David got emotional about it. This is what I love about this psalm. It's what I love about the psalms in general because when you read the psalms, I believe the psalms teach us, uh, teach us a very freeing and reassuring lesson. Are you ready to hear it? Here is the lesson. It's okay. It's okay to be human. It's okay. It's okay. I know as Christians, sometimes we act like we're maybe we're ashamed of our humanity. There are certainly times we can be ashamed of our behavior. I get that. But we should never feel like we should apologize for being human. In Genesis 1.31, God viewed the culmination of all of his creative work as he created the heavens and the earth, including us. And what did he say about us? He said, eh, not bad. <laughs> Oops. No, God looked at us and said, very good. We are made in God's image. We bear a certain likeness to our Lord. This includes our emotions. Our feelings are part of us. God gave them to us. It's okay to have them. In verse 2, David cried out to God. Now this is not the picture of a man suppressing his feelings or letting a smile be his umbrella. And what did God do in return? Did God say, how dare you have an emotional outburst How dare you cry out to me? I thought I made you better than that. No, God heard and healed. The Lord hears and heals when we call out to him. Let's talk about our emotions for a minute. Emotions are tricky. Just because we all have them doesn't mean we always know what to do with them, right? Do your emotions ever surprise you? Yes, mine do too. Some big crisis will happen. Something big and bad will happen. And I handle it so beautifully. I am so calm that if you look up the word cool in the dictionary, you'll see my picture right there. And then the silliest little insignificant thing will happen. I'll misplace my keys, or my computer will glitch, and I will lose that cool. Do your emotions ever confuse you? Yeah? That's when I realize I'm upset about something, I'm nervous, I'm bummed, something. Something's wrong, I'm feeling something, not sure what it is. Somebody says, what's the matter? And I say, I don't know, something. And do your emotions ever scare you? Mine do that too. That's when I know exactly what I'm feeling, but I'm not sure I know how to express it well. And as Christians, we can really do a number on ourselves by adding this thought. Do you ever do this? If I were a good Christian, I wouldn't be angry. If I were a good Christian, I, I wouldn't be worried. What happens when we think like that? The emotions don't go away. <laughs> we're still angry. We're still afraid. We're still jealous, whatever. But now we've added guilt onto the situation. So it's great. I'm not only mad, I'm a bad Christian. I'm not only worried, I'm a second rate believer. Well, what are we supposed to do when something upsets us? What would God have us do when our emotions get triggered and they're overpowering, they surprise us, they confuse us, or they, we don't know how to express them? What are we supposed to do? What did David do? He would, cried out to the Lord, told him all about it. David was a poet, he was a shepherd, he was a lawyer, he was a king. He was a man of passion and strong feelings. He struggled with them just like we do. But he did one thing that made all the difference in his life. He kept coming to God. And he brought his feelings not on a silver platter, all buffed and cleaned up. He brought it on a rusty tray. He came to God with feelings that were raw and unpolished and uncensored. Here I am today, Lord, and this is what I'm dealing with. And he just put it all out there for God to see. Throughout the book of Psalms, We see time and time again how David started out with unsettled emotions. And then he became transformed as he did one very important thing. He shifted his attention away from his problems back up to the Lord. I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. I've made this comment to you before, but I want to repeat it because the truth of it is life-changing. What we see is what we get. When we focus on our problems... When we focus on a situation, it will absolutely overwhelm us. When we focus on the Lord and who he is, he will absolutely overwhelm us. David was famous for bringing all kinds of emotional reactions in all kinds of situations to the Lord. And what did God say about that? Did God call David a crybaby? He called David a man after his own heart. David is also famous for one time when he failed to cry out to God. Here's a what-if question. What if David had seen the beautiful Bathsheba? And what if at that moment when he felt his heart and his hormones fire up, human-male reaction, what if at that moment he had cried out to God and said, Oh, my Lord, oh, my God, look what I'm thinking about another man's wife. Help me. Forgive me. Help me, Father. Might his life have turned out differently? Might ours turn out differently when we cry out to God with our feelings before we act instead of after? What we see is what we get. When we focus our attention on our problems, our situation, our emotions, they will overwhelm us. When we focus on the Lord, he will overwhelm us. In verse two, David was healed. He was God healed his body, his soul, and his mind. God heals us too. Why does God heal us? You ever wonder? It's not because we're special little pets of his. It's because of who he is. It's his nature. If you look at Exodus, uh, well, you don't have time to turn, I'll just tell you. Exodus fifteen twenty-six. The Lord declares, I am the Lord that healeth thee. God heals us for his glory and his purpose. A healing is a new beginning. Our Heavenly Father is the God of new beginnings. His kingdom is full of them. Just like Pastor Dan taught us last week out of Jonah, our God is the God of second chances and thirds and fourths and ten thousandths. When you and I find ourselves at the bottom of a horrible pit, the way out is not to try to find our own rope and pull us up. It certainly isn't by pulling others down with us. Our only hope is to cry out to the only one who can save us. The life lesson of verse 2, take every thought, every feeling, every situation to the Lord just as you're feeling it. And don't, don't even waste time trying to censor your feelings when you're talking to God. He knows all about it. He knows more about our feelings than we do. Verse 3, O Lord, Thou hast brought my soul up from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. This word grave is also translated sheol. This is the underworld. This is the world of the dead. Uh, This is hell. In verse 3, David is praising God for saving him, giving him eternal life. This is a key feature of David's life. He is always mindful and always grateful for his salvation. When you are caught... Up in your own swirling sea of circumstances and you're praying for this and you're begging God for that, do you ever just stop and remember who you're speaking to? When we pray, we're not talking to the ceiling. We're not talking to ourselves. We're not talking to some vague nebulous higher power. We are speaking one-on-one, face-to-face with Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, our creator, and our savior who loves us more than we will ever know. And when you stop and remember who God is and what he's done, doesn't your outlook change? Doesn't your faith grow? Look what happened to David in verse four. He starts to sing. Verse four, sing unto the Lord, O you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Okay, verse two, David was a crier. In verse four, he's a singer and a choir director. What happened between 2 and 4? Verse 3, David remembered his salvation. There is no greater proof of God's love, power, and provision than our own salvation. Please, please don't be a yeah, but Christian. A yeah, but believer. This is the person who says, I know Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead to give me life forever. Yeah, but... I don't think he can deal with what I'm handling now. I don't think he's got the power for this. I don't think we can know the power of God in our lives and be a yeah, but kind of believer. Verse four could be paraphrased like this. Sing to the Lord, all you saved ones of the Rock Community Church. Be grateful for God's holiness. God's holiness means his completeness, his perfection. Why should we be grateful for that? Why should we be grateful that God is holy? because it gives us an awful lot to look forward to. One bright and shining day, we will be in God's presence forever. And on that day, we will be like him. We will be holy and perfect as well. Here's a fact. Nothing carries more terror for the wicked or more comfort for the godly than God's holiness. Verse 5, oh boy. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Here again, the Bible teaches that weeping is part of life. Pastor John has taught us that many, many times. Uh, Even as wonderful believers, we can have sorrow and pain in our lives. But this verse also tells us that we can make God angry. And on occasion, he may need to take you or I to the woodshed for a little quick discipline. Now I want to tell you the truth. As a young boy, I was a perfect angel. I never did anything wrong. But on very, very rare occasions, my mother saw things differently. (laughs) And when I couldn't negotiate, she would get the ping pong paddle (laughs) and apply her tool of the trade to my back pocket. (laughs) pain was short but sharp, and afterwards came (laughs) the long hugs and loving restoration, just like it is with God. And by the way, I remember the day the ping-pong paddle broke. <laughs> but that's also the day I re- learned that she had a spare. <laughs> God's la- anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. The essential quality of God is love, not wrath. We, can get th- we see this in Proverbs 3.12. I'll just read these for you quickly. Proverbs 3.12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the one you discipline, Lord. And of course, Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor, his love lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. In my day job, I have the wonderful privilege and honor to be part of a creative team that is creating a bunch of very special video media for the observation deck of the new World Trade Center that they're building right next to Ground Zero, right next to the 9-11 Memorial in New York. I flew to New York a couple weeks ago to have my first tour of the World Trade Center building that is still under construction. We met in our hotel lobby at 7.15 a.m. New York time. (laughs) That's 4.15 a.m. as far as my West Coast body was concerned. Remember what I said about not being a morning person? I was in my full morning zombie mode. And to make matters worse, I I bought a new pair of work boots because they were required to go to the construction site. And these nice new boots of mine immediately started giving me blisters on both feet. But that's okay. It was only a six-block walk (laughs) to the subway and then a 12-block walk after that after we got off the subway at the wrong stop. Then we got to the Port Authority building there in Wall Street, got her hard hats and her vests and walked another eight blocks to the tower. That's 26 blocks of walking in my morning of the living dead condition <laughs> with shoes that were ripping away my skin with every step. Needless to say, I was not in experiencing very much joy that morning. We went into the tower. It took us three different construction elevators to get to the very top. And when we stepped out on the 102nd floor, the wind immediately, the cold, is blowing because eventually there are going to be floor-to-ceiling windows up there, but they don't have the glass in yet, wide open, with just a little thin bit of construction netting around it. I walked to the edge, and I looked down on the Empire State Building. I could see the curve of the earth. I could see all of Manhattan. I felt like I could see forever. And the awe and the national pride that swelled up in me in that moment made everything I went through that morning to get there instantly worthwhile. It's a moment I know I'll remember for the rest of my life. My experience on the 102nd floor gave me a little taste of what Psalm 30 is talking about. God is promising when we go through painful times he will make it worth it. Joy cometh in the morning because joy cometh from the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Please don't answer out loud, but just think about this for a moment with me. Where do you find your joy? Who or what is your greatest source of joy? When we base our joy on something that can be taken away, we have joy mixed with anxiety. When we base our joy on the Lord, we have joy that's pure and everlasting. The truth of verse 5 is this. It is God who sets the duration of our sorrow and our discipline, and only he can bring true joy. Verse 6 and 7, David gets really honest again. In my prosperity, I said, I will never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. David knew that God had blessed him. He was on a, ro- he was on a roll. Things are going great. And he even recognized that God had blessed him and given him all this. But there's a thin line sometimes between faith and folly. And apparently, David started to think, well, I'm doing well. God's just going to automatically keep those blessings coming in. He took the Lord for granted. That's easy to do. So God hid his face. What does that mean? Okay, we're not talking about a little heavenly game of peekaboo. We're talking about God stepping back taking his hands off of David, just so he could experience for a time what life is like without him. And how did David react? Look, thou didst hide my face, and I was troubled. Troubled is an understatement. That word should be translated shattered, devastated, we would say freaked out. He was totally devastated. And the verse, warning of verse 6 and 7 is a blessing, prosperity is a wonderful blessing from God. But we have to be careful, because it can lead to overconfidence in self and false feelings of security. So look at verse 8 and 9. I cried unto thee, Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Here comes a huge life lesson. When David turned away from God in verse 7, what did David do about it? Did David say, oh, God's turning away from me? Two can play at that game. I won't go to his raggedy old church anymore. I'm not going to put money in the offering basket until he's nice to me again. Uh, Yeah, of course not. David immediately did what he always did. He, He cried out to God. He made supplication. What is supplication? That means he begged. He pleaded for mercy. The huge life lesson here, if God turns his face from us, we are fools to turn our face from him. We'll finish with the close of verse 10 to 12. Wow. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. So, what happened when David pleaded for mercy? God turned his mourning, his sadness, into dancing. The word dancing here is the same Hebrew word that the, to talk about what the women used to do to celebrate a great military victory. If we were going to put it in today's language, David went from just about losing the game to doing a funky in zone <laughs> victory dance. God took away David's sackcloth. What is sackcloth? Well, we don't have it much anymore. You cannot find sackcloth at the Gap or at Nordstrom although they probably sell it at Walmart, just kidding. (laughs) Sackcloth is a hairy garment that was worn in David's time to symbolize repentance and penitence and sorrow. It was worn on the naked body. It was rough and really scratchy, and sometimes they would gird it. We're going to come back to that word gird because it's important. They would gird it. They would tie it with a rope onto their body so it was even more uncomfortable. Notice that in these verses, David did not end up taking off his sackcloth suit. Look what happened. David declared, "Lord, thou hast taken off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness." God—it was God that removed the sackcloth. God removed David's sorrow and his regret, and God again girded him with gladness. There's that word "gird" again. It means God took the joy and tied it to his body so tightly he could really feel it. What a picture! You know, when actors come in to be, have a role in a movie or a commercial or a play, they have to go to what's called a wardrobe fitting. That's where they come into the wardrobe department, and the, and the dressers have pulled a bunch of uh, wardrobe for them to try on. Sometimes there's a rack, sometimes there's multiple racks of clothes. And the actors just stand in the room and the, and the dressers come in and say, Well, let's try this shirt. Let's try this shirt with that tie. No, I don't like that tie. Let's try that tie. Oh, I love the stripes. Let's try the vest. Oh, I love the vest with pinstripes. Now I hate the stripes on the tie. Take the stripes off. Try this tie. Well, I like the vest, but now let's try the pants. Don't like the pants with the pleats. Try the pants with the straight leg. I love the pants with the straight leg. Now let's try the boots. Let's try the. No, I don't like the boots. Let's go loafers. Not loafers. Let's try these shoes. This goes on for hours sometime. And all the actors do is they just stand there like a mannequin while uh, the dressers do all the work. That's the picture we have right here. David is standing still before God, and God is doing all the dressing and all the blessing. Or putting it another way, God gave David a makeover. He gave him a new beginning. And look at David's closing prayer. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. O Lord my God is a declaration of total surrender and submission. He says, Lord, you're my master, you're my king. Do with me as you will. And then he concludes, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Forever is a long time to be happy. So to summarize Psalm 30, the wonderful truth of Psalm 30 is that God wants to bless you and I. He wants to turn our sorrow into joy. He wants to give us a new beginning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. How can we experience joy in our morning? this morning, same way David did. Joy comes when we're with the Lord, not when we're on our own. David had problems like we do. He had emotions just like us because he was human just like us. The difference for David was his relationship with God. And what was that relationship like? We saw in Psalm 30, first off, David surrendered himself completely to the Lord. He held nothing back. David's relationship with God was open, honest, and full of prayer. David was always talking to God about everything. Anything, the good and the bad. And from another psalm, we know that David loved to read and obey God's word. Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I treasured in my heart, that I would not sin against you. Psalm 30 is an invitation to have a relationship with God, just like David had. And best of all, it's a come-as-you-are invitation. Be yourself. Be human. Bring all your good stuff, bring all your bad stuff. And God will come as he is, loving, faithful, and holy. And it's God's holiness that requires us to come to him on his terms, not our own. Do you need a new beginning this morning? Then surrender yourself to the Lord that hears and heals. When you do, your pits of life can become pinnacles. And after each storm of life is over, there will be a song. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy really does come in the morning. Let's pray. Father, how mighty and faithful you are. How gracious. Lord, you saved us. You've given us eternal life. Yet here you are still wanting to bless us, still wanting to give us joy, wanting to turn our sorrows into dancing. Father, I pray that we would be men and women that would really want the same relationship you have with David. We may, may we be a church, Father, that just uh, loves you like this psalm, sold out to you completely. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm. Thank you for this church. And thank you for new beginnings. May we give thanks to you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.